You know, when this whole thing uh, started, the first thing I did was call my mentor, who's in his 70s, uh, and asked him, uh, like, what do I do? <laughs> and he said, I don't know. Um, you know, but I can tell you one thing. This is the biggest opportunity of your life. This is the biggest opportunity of your life. And if you lens it that way, it'll be the biggest opportunity of your life. And, you know, I, I reflected on that for some days uh, afterwards to try and really understand the, the nuance and, uh, of what that meant. And what I've s since seen is that there are really two categories of people. There are those that are looking at the lifeboat and, the, and those who are look, looking at the, this as their ship come in. And depends where you focus is where you will see opportunities. If you're listening to this podcast, that means you're on the precipice, the edge of change. And like Alon's mentor has guided, there are two ways to view that future, a sinking ship or one that is coming in. For entrepreneurs, both are actually opportunities, but both also require a level of thinking to maximize that moment that isn't always common practice. In this podcast, we're going to hear from three entrepreneurs that have vast amounts of experience that includes complete failures, successful turnarounds, impressive pivots, and more. They share lessons from these experiences, and we also get to hear their answers to questions posed by our audience members during the live discussion. The first voice you heard is Alon Ray, CEO of Racecorp. You'll also be hearing from Kumaran Padiachi and Mark Levy, both seasoned entrepreneurs and business leaders. The comments and insights herein were first offered during a Deep Dive digital event hosted in Johannesburg, South Africa. Deep Dive is a series developed to help us, you and me, with day-to-day -day dilemmas that we as entrepreneurs experience. Alon and the team are tired of all the fluff and noise created by quick fix answers and so-called all-in-one solutions. And Deep Dive is their response to this. My name is Gareth Armstrong and you're listening to a Razor's Edge podcast. This is a much shorter version of the full deep dive discussion, but I assure you that it is packed with value. So please go grab a notebook and pen and pause as many times as is necessary during this podcast to capture the insights that resonate with you at this stage of your business's growth and development. If you would like to listen to the full conversation, go to the Deep Dive Series podcast page on racecorp.com and you'll find links to YouTube videos, previous episodes, and downloadable models and tools there. Now let's get back to the pivot discussion. People were using the word pivot. The word was already too popular and misunderstood, in my opinion, as a replacement word for starting again. So somebody was uh, selling fast food and then they would uh, pivot uh, selling clothing and they would pivot to you know selling electronics and to me that's not in my opinion that's not pivoting that's starting again and I actually uh, wrote an article which I completed just before uh, the COVID lockdown and decided to pull it and not to actually publish it because I thought it would be a little insensitive on my view on on the word pivot and and why people were misinterpreting this. Have you found yourself using the word pivot potentially incorrectly? Perhaps you don't feel like you have. Let's explore what Alon, Kumaran and Mark believe a pivot actually is. Let's test our definition against theirs. A quick heads up, have your pens at the ready because this is not going to be a one-line answer. So from my perspective and what I'm talking to my entrepreneurs about is that for us as entrepreneurs, there's really two choices. The one choice is that we are opportunistic 
In other words, something happens and we see it and we do something about it. And the other choice is that we are strategic. And so we have this plan, the strategy, and then we try to follow a plan as best we can. And I, and I know certainly the two of you, because uh, we, we meet often, are far more strategic. We, we, we are part of the strategic thinking school rather than the opportunistic. However, but we all know that that opportunity presents to us all the time. And so the reconciliation of that is a thing called strategically opportunistic. And what does that mean? That means when an opportunity presents, we, we reference the strategy as whether or not to pursue it or not. So there has to be a strategy and we reference that strategy and say, does this fit, doesn't it? So if our, I am um, making clothing uh, and uh, there is an opportunity now to make masks, well, the question is, do, do I do it or don't I do it? But if I'm making electronics and I've got an opportunity to, to sell masks, do I do it or do I not do it? That, that's, the, that's the question. So for me, there are five things that you need to look out for in order to, to match this. The one is your critical competencies. And critical competencies are, the, are three things, sales, marketing, and distribution. Is this new opportunity matching to one of those three competencies? Or no. If not, is it matching to one or more of your core competencies? So uh, hopefully you've defined your core competencies. Yes, no. Number three, does it match to any of your componentry? Your componentry, for example, in, in our business might be our bookkeeping. Can I leverage my bookkeeping or can I leverage my learning department or can I leverage something? Can I match it to my componentry? Yes, no. Number four, can I match it to my channels? In other words, my distribution channels. And number five is, can I match it to my clients? For me, every time an opportunity presents, I look across those five C's and see if I can match it against those. If I can, I start to look at it further. If I can't, and you have to be honest because there's a big opportunity in front of you to match it, then I don't. And too many people are, are just willy-nilly, just so-called pivoting without using any of those five C's. And what the most important one of all, I think, is your core competency. Alon, I know you get quite frustrated at this word pivot. And I know, I mean, if you think about, you know, COVID in this time now, and we've all seen it, it's that businesses that were in consumer electronics are now in PPE. In fact, it's amazing to see how many businesses have pivoted into PPE with, with really none of those C's, no competency, you know, different customers. It's an overused word now. It's like the new hello, how's it, how are you going? <laughs> What's, you your pivot? Pivot? <laughs> you pivoted? What's your pivot? But if you strip away all of that nonsense, it, it, it settles down to largely what Elon was talking about. And I'll just build on some additionality to what he said. So the business can be in five modes. One could be looking at things strategically, like he said. Two, you can be looking at things opportunistically. Three, you can be starting again. Four, you can be dead. And there's a funeral happening business-wise. And five, you can be starting a new business. Those are the kind of different modes people will be in, in those five different modes. In the strategy side, either people will think about it formally, you know, those that have studied some, uh, read some books about strategy, or you will think about it intuitively without the academic reference point. It, it doesn't make it right or wrong, it's still a way of thinking, and so that's good. And what does the strategy, it always exists in a context. 
in an environment and utilizing this word that Elon talked about, what you are awesomely good at, which is core competencies. So if the environment or the context is changing, whether you look at strategy academically or intuitively, you're going to have to adapt. That's what mm. pivoting is. It's like the environment is changing, the context is changing, and how do I adapt to take advantage of that or to survive in that context? That's as simple as the bloody thing is, right? Now, you can think about it academically, like I said, or intuitively. The problem with the opportunistic thing, and Alan has mentioned this, is that there's a temptation. You circle outside, you go outside of your circle of competence. And that's when you're going to get, get a hiding for nothing, I believe, because all those learning curves that you'd spend 20 years mastering certain uh, your trade, and now you're going into something different, and that learning curve you can't get. That's, so that's problem number one. And what do they call it? Shiny penny syndrome, where you walk past you know, an opportunity, and just in our nature as entrepreneurs, we're opportunists, right? That's why we start things in the first place. So suddenly you say, oh, that's interesting. You know, there's, there's a billion rand here and a million rand there and 500,000, you know, and, and, and that shiny penny can be, uh, can be very, very tempting. I live in a world of entrepreneurs. Kind of my, my circle is very entrepreneurial, and I've grown up in a world of entrepreneurs, and I've actually been surprised, and actually I'd go as far as to say shocked at how people have been opportunistic during this time, not just for survival. I think, Alon, like you, I'm, I'm very pro-life for entrepreneurship. I think it's a, it's a, just to stay alive is, is virtuous. But I've seen great businesses try and pivot into a new world too quickly, not strategically, with no core competence in that space. Funny you mentioned masks, because I, I know one business that took a punt, essentially, an opportunistic punt on masks, and is bleeding badly. If you analyze it, like they were the wrong people to do that. No channel, no expertise, not in their world, but thought that, you know, make a quick buck. And I've been quite disappointed, actually, in some of the entrepreneurs in, around that have, that have been tempted by that shiny penny. Pivoting, and we'll talk about that now, you know, changing your business, adapting, absolutely essential. But I, I suppose to echo both of your sentiments, doing it strategically, I think, is really, really important. And I think what we'll find out of, out of COVID and the businesses that adapt well, but within their core competencies, will, will actually thrive. And I, and I think we're starting to see that. You both mentioned that. I think businesses that do a quick 180 to try and take advantage of a short-term opportunity will find themselves in trouble because they don't have the, the skill and the resources to manage both and to manage the existing opportunity and the new one. Now that we have a more well-informed view of what pivoting is and what it can mean for us in our own businesses, let's take this a step further and look at a few examples of pivoting that has impressed Alon, Kamaran and Mark. After these examples have been shared and hopefully inspired some interesting thoughts and note-taking for our own businesses, we'll then explore some of the questions that were submitted by those who were enjoying the conversation live. Oh, and by the way, the answers to these questions may just surprise you. So keep on listening. So I'll give you, I'll give you two examples. One is the international, one's a local. And, and me watching the, what happened internationally gave, actually gave me the clue around the, the local. So I saw a plumbing business in the UK where the, the sky during lockdown in the UK wasn't obviously able to go out and plumb for, uh, I'm not sure why, why not, because here the plumbers were allowed to go out. So he decided that he would create a YouTube channel and he would then dispense plumbing advice and basically on people to do it themselves. And he had the personality, he had uh, the content, he had everything. And he, instead of physically, he monetized it verbally through YouTube. And the last time 
He was on, he had 200,000 viewers. He had sponsors sponsoring using this wrench, this bank wrench and this bank uh, plunger, whatever, whatever the case may be. And he learned how to monetize in a different way. Locally, we're involved in a, a accounting business. And when you say there are no more boundaries, there's no more geography, then all of a sudden, this business works on zero. He started calling up to the UK, to Australia, to New Zealand, all the English-speaking countries that particularly were using zero, and started doing work for other companies overseas. And he would never, ever have done that before. But now he's earning pounds and Australian dollars, etc. And it was always possible before, but he was never prompted and they were never ready. No one was re ready, but he made the move and it made sense with the Rand Pound Exchange. And he's making a fortune. And, and we were on a call the other, other night, you and I, Mark, where, where there's a lawyer that we both know that's doing the same thing for, in Germany, right? So all of a sudden, there's no more geography. You're, the fact that I'm here in Johannesburg means nothing. I can still create value anywhere in the world. You know, it's so interesting. There was a tweet the other day that, that I thought was quite... Uh, profound. It said, everyone loves the concept of working from home until you realize you're competing with 7 billion people for your job. And in a way, that's true. Geography goes. But if you think about it from a South African context, the idea of living in a low, in a weak uh, currency market, English speaking, weak currency, European timelines, skilled workers, the opportunity is enormous. That accounting example is actually a wonderful example of, of opportunities for South African businesses to offer their their, their skills externally really at a fraction of the price. Rand-based cost yeah. dollar income is, I suppose, the dream, actually. Warren, yeah. uh, yeah. who have you seen right. that you've been impressed with? I'll give you three examples, two of them being our clients without mentioning names, and then the one from World War II, I think it is example, <laughs> right? The one is a client that sells in-mall advertising. Think of the digital billboards and banners and all that inside the shop, in, outside the shopping centers. Uh, and they've adapted by starting up another venture that does advertising for online gaming. So the competency is selling advertising. They're still sticking with the competency. So that's one example. The second is a crowd that does events, large scale events. So think of all these different horse racing events and anything massive like big golf tournaments. And they've got these massive tenting business. So that's when you see this humongous uh, tents with flooring and sophisticated acons, like a proper setup. Now, that's shot to, to nothing, right? Because uh, you know what's happening with events. But what they've gone into is, and they've built quarantine hospitals using Ooh. the tent structure. So using the same competency of what they built for events, except they've done it now for isolation units and in parking lots of hospitals, and for quarantine. So it's, again, two important things. They're still using the core competencies, both guys, but they've gone into something else. And those are both clients of ours that we've funded. In fact, we funded one of these isolation uh, quarantine hospitals. Mm -hmm. And the, the World War II one is around my favorite topic, which is chocolate. Those Ferro <laughs> uh, Rocha guys, you know, that makes this, this lovely chocolate with a hazelnut. And it has relevance today because with this global supply chain, what it is, Sourcing your key supplies timelessly at the right price and all of that is, is a difficulty. So what happened with those guys, chocolate guys for Rocha in, two, in World War II or one, I think it was, there was a shortage of chocolate. So now that's a key ingredient because they, they're selling chocolate. So what they did is they found a technique to take the hazelnuts, they ground it in a certain way, 
And they, they use that to basically make a little chocolate go a long way by bulking up the chocolate to still be the bar size. That became a key competitive advantage of theirs, right? And it's long been something that they've Lost. done well with. So that was that's an adaption of a supply constraint. So yeah, those three. You know, it's in, <clears throat> very interesting. I mean, two two that pop into my head, both are personal actually, uh, but but I think important to focus also on small businesses. My wife is uh, is a physiotherapist, but she does yoga once or twice a week at a studio up the road. And obviously, when when lockdown happened, that studio you know lost all their customers, lost their ability to host classes, and within a week. Uh, they were hosting online classes. And now twice a week, my wife goes into our downstairs playroom, closes the door, puts on uh, headphones and does yoga. And actually what's turned out, and a lot not dissimilar to you, is there are now people joining from around the world. It's a really good yoga studio. They've got a couple of teachers. And now, again, it doesn't matter where you are. You don't have to be in northern Johannesburg to do that. You can be anywhere in the world. At 9 a.m., there's a yoga class. Or 6 a.m., there's a, there's a yoga class. And I think that's been fascinating to see how that industry is actually changing, changing fundamentally, uh, you know, and, and creating this new kind of entrepreneur, these global entrepreneurs. And the second one, which is a, a run by a guy we all know well, Ryan Bach, is the Net Florist story. And if you look at Net Florist, very quickly overnight, their business essentially died. E-commerce was switched off, and during lockdown, you weren't allowed to trade. Um, but one of the things you were allowed to do was sell food. And they did a deal uh, with Macro in three days from start to finish. When we talk about core competency, they started using their core competency of being able to deliver fresh produce with refrigerated trucks and pivoted really from flowers into food overnight. A remarkable achievement. And it had real impact on their business and actually uh, changing their strategy somewhat to say, what are they really, you know, is there is their business about gifts and flowers or is their business, you know, around logistics and, and so interesting. Oh. Um, and again, you know, to echo what Alon said, you know, just a, a space they never would have considered going into. Uh, and both examples, if 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 the world hadn't been like that. And and as I'm saying this, I, you know, and I think it's a wonderful thing about entrepreneurs. I I actually feel optimistic. You know, I, I it's you can have days. Alon mentioned every second day, and I, and Kamaran mentioned every day. I'm I'm probably more Kamaran than Alon at the moment. But where you really do question things. But but listening to this conversation actually kind of does make you feel optimistic about where things are. So. All right, let's now go over to the Q&A portion of the event. The first question we'll hear is from an entrepreneur named Paige. Hi, it's Paige. I'd like to know, is there a time when pivoting is too late? For me, I will say this always. For as long as you can ask different questions and you get different answers, you carry on. So the moment you can't ask a different question and you can't get a different answer, then it's time, then it's too late. But until that point, you keep asking different questions. You know, if you take a view that uh, pivoting means being opportunistic, because you remember we talked about the strategic versus opportunistic. So if you see the opportunistic side, then if you are moving when things are 100% certain, it's too late. You need to move in anticipation and predictability of that opportunity, like when things are 50 or 70% more certain. Your mask was an example. When people are coming to the game too late, now you're sitting with excess stock. So that's the danger of being opportunistic, and that's the danger of pivoting too late on that. On strategy, sometimes there's an advantage on being the second mover. In fact, often there's an advantage of being first seeing how the game, the gazelles and everything is on the, on the lake and then moving. So if you're opportunistic, I would say it's more dangerous to pivoting late. Cool. We're going to go to our second voice note uh, from Anele. We haven't got much time left. This has gone really quickly, but we'll try and squeeze in one or maybe two more questions. Hi, this is Anneli in Johannesburg. 
I'd like to ask, is pivoting not a last-ditch effort to save a dying business? I don't think it is. I think that a real pivoting is a function of survival of all well-run businesses. And in particular, in an environment like this, the, the requirement to now re-navigate these choppy waters based on new information is, is critical. So I, I think pivoting is just a functional skill set required by all leadership in all entrepreneurial businesses and all businesses, in fact, no matter what, when it is. And, and now it's just got a huge amount of atten attention because of the system shock. But businesses should have been pivoting five years ago and 10 years ago and in five years' time and 10 years' time. Yeah. Kamara, anything to add? We started off this discussion talking and defining the pivoting about just nothing more than adapting to a changing environment. So it's the responsible thing to do is to adapt. It's not a new sexified term, this, this uh, pivoting thing. So, in fact, it's, if you need to adapt and you're not, then that's irresponsible. Yeah. So it's a sign of smartness and adapting and survival if you're doing so. I disagree that it's a sign of a dying business. To attend a deep dive event, visit racecorp.com where you'll find details of all upcoming gatherings along with other interesting insights, podcasts and resources. Alternatively, follow Racecorp on your favorite social media platform for updates and announcements. It's been another super conversation and I hope you're feeling as challenged and informed as I am. I seem to be saying the same thing after each event, but it's because it's true. Remember to keep your eyes on Racecorp's website and social media accounts for updates on when the next deep dive event will be. I'm Gareth Armstrong and I'll see you there.